How are we doing? Everybody good? Hey, thank you so much for coming literally from all over the world to Anderson, South Carolina. I know for many of you, it was a bucket list experience. You've always wanted to come to Anderson and you're here. And I'm like, Jesus can take you home now because once you've been to Anderson, hey, if you get a chance to stay over the weekend, we have this thing called the Jockey Lot. You should go check that out. I'm not, God, you, hey, listen, pastors, I'm just telling you, great sermon illustrations at the Jockey Lot, straight up. I'll, that's the only place I know. I'm literally, I walked in, you can buy a duck and a box of Little Debbies at the same place. I, I, you can't make that up. It's true. Hey, if you brought a Bible with you, I want you to go to Mark chapter 9, and uh, we're, we're going to talk all day about leadership. You're going to hear from what I, whom I consider to be some of the greatest leaders in, in the church. And uh, that's the reason I'm going first. Um, first, I said I'm going first because I'm not following any of these cats. And number two, um, I, think, I think I'm going to learn. I'm, I know I'm going to learn a lot today. But to, today's talk for me in regards to leadership is going to be a little different. Um, I'm just going to tell you what I feel like God's teaching me right now. And I, I don't know that, I mean, I hope it helps some people. But man, it's, this is like, um, I, can't, I can't go to counseling all the time. This is my therapy. Hi, my name's Perry. Okay, have y'all been there? That's good, that's good, that's good. The other half will get it soon. And so I just want to talk about this. Let me set it up this way. About 10 years ago, my wife, um, Lucretia and I, Lucretia's my wife, she's white. Um, <laughs> somebody ask everywhere I go. It, so I, I just say it now. It's like I, somebody ask everywhere I go. And she's hot too. So anyway, she... She and I were in the mall in Greenville, and we're kind of walking around, and we walked by this store called Build-A-Bear. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Build-A-Bear. Um, if you've got kids, you've probably made a trip or seven to Build-A-Bear. But I was like, what is Build-A-Bear? And Lucretia explained to me, because she's, she's smart, and she reads all the time, and she's God's favorite. She gets everything she prays for. And so we, she said, Build-A-Bear is a place where you go, and you build a bear, and I was like, oh, wow. You know, and so we walked in, and there's all these shells of bears. You pick them up. They're sort of freaky looking if you've never been in. And you pick it up. And they got the cheap ones, like the $10, like, ghetto bear. But nobody, none of the kids want ghetto bear, right? They've got the, they've got the ones with colors, and they've got the ones with smells, and they've got the 25. And then you get that, and then you can go over, and they've got these sounds that you can put in your bear. And so the bear never shuts up. And so you put the sound in. And then, and then this is brilliant. They've got clothes that you can buy for your bear. And then they have shoes you can buy for the bear or the bunny or the dog or whatever you happen to buy that day. And by the time you get out of Build-A-Bear, if you're a good mom or a good dad, you've dropped 50 to 60 bucks on this thing. And I never will forget this because we were, it was 10 years ago, we didn't have kids or anything. And I stood and I walked around, I just checked this whole thing out and I looked at Lucretia and I said, what moron would pay that much for a stupid bear. That person has to be an idiot. About six months ago, <laughs> that conversation came flooding back in my mind. Anybody want to guess where I was? Build a bear. Anybody want to guess what I was doing? Buying a bear, right. Because my five-year-old Karis, that's her love language right now is teddy bears. She's got six Build-A-Bears, and I'm the moron. <laughs> I've got my credit card. Okay, we're going to get a sound. That's awesome. We're going to get some, oh, we got to get some shoes for that thing. Mm -hmm. I'm, 
And here's what happened. I just stepped into a different stage of life. What I, what I used to think was a little ridiculous, what I used to think was really stupid, now I go, oh, oh, I, I get that. And that's kind of like where I am in my, in my leadership right now. I have not learned all that there is to learn, but I think back to when I started um, New Spring Church with a group of people uh, in, in the fall of 1999. There was about 12, 15 of us meeting in the living room, and I was brilliant, I knew everything there was to know about the church planning business. I know everything there is to know about the shrimping business. Y'all, y'all remember that? <laughs> knew it all. I'd read two books on church growth. <laughs> Purpose Driven Church, right? And Rediscovering the Church by Bill Hobbles. I, this was my philosophy back then. It's my philosophy now, by the way. I hope this don't make anybody mad. But I read books by people who had actually done it. Because there's a lot of books on church growth today by people that have never pastored a church or never planted a church. And Christians are the only people dumb enough to go buy the books. Because of a, if I wrote a book on surgery, doctors aren't going to go, you got to get that book. Has he ever done surgery? No. But I think his ideas are awesome. Just to throw that out there. I've read two books and I was brilliant. I am so glad that YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff did not exist um, uh, when we started the church because I I said some things and I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand that. And I was kind of blowing through leadership and I was, um, I was angry. And a lot of pastors, that's the reason we go into pastoring is because we're angry and we get to yell at people once a week and they have to come back or we tell them they're going to hell. So (laughs) I wrestled with, with that whole thing. And I thought I knew, I thought I knew it all, but few things have happened to me um, in the past three or four years. One is I just, I just literally, in the past year and a half, came out of a major battle with depression. Um, it, and it was intense. It was one of the most intense things I've gone through. The second thing is in the past year, I've lost my dad. Um, and so now my father and my mother are gone. And I was like, oh, wow, um, I guess I've got next. I mean, that's the, literally the, the thought that ran through my mind. And the third thing was I turned, I turned 40 last year. And, and I'm realizing, oh, my gosh, I thought I knew a whole bunch back then, but I'm realizing at the point I'm in right now that I've still got so much to learn, and I'm hungrier to grow, and I'm hungrier to learn than I've ever been in my life. And so today, I'm I'm not going to necessarily give a lot of leadership concepts and principles. I just want to share with you today in our time together the two things that I'm praying for for me personally right now as a leader, um, as a husband, as a father. These are two things that I'm praying for me personally, and I hope in some way, shape, form, or fashion, they impact you um, because they're deeply impacting me. Here we go. Number one, that Jesus will enable me to continually renew my focus on him, my focus on and love for him. That Jesus will enable me to continually renew my focus on and love for him. I want Jesus, for me, as a leader, as a man of God, to focus my attention, focus my attention on my love for him. I want, to, I want my focus on Jesus, and I want my affections for Jesus stirred on a consistent basis. Because I tell you why this is so important. This is just something I've learned lately. When we fall in love with Jesus, we fall in love with people. It's impossible to love Jesus and hate people. And as pastors, come on now, church leaders, don't you get there? Jesus, I love you. 
But you know that prayer that Moses prayed? God, kill them all. We'll start all over. You, you know, God and Moses went back and forth on that thing, right? But I'm, I'm finding just personally because I, if I'm going to love Jesus like I need to love Jesus, then I'm actually going to love the people that he loves. And it's important for us that we stay focused because if we lose focus, we get hurt and then we hurt other people. Is that not true? I, I, was, I was riding um, to the doctor's office one day and I'm listening to uh, Fox Radio and they interviewed a pastor on Fox Radio. And it's a pastor that if I called his name, most of you would know him. And um, they're interviewing on the radio, and I, I don't know about you, but anytime I hear a pastor uh, that's known, interviewed on the radio, I pray this one prayer um, that I think all of us pray. Don't say anything stupid. Don't say anything. Don't, please, oh, dear God. Because they always pick the backwoods guy going, I think to Jesus. And so I, I'm just, and he did so good. Like, he knocked the ball out of the park on the interview. And so I was like, I, I got to text him. I got to tell him how proud I am. So I get out of my car. I'm walking in the hospital, and I'm texting him, and there was a tree right, right in my path. I'm not making this up. I never saw the tree and I never slowed down. I was in a fast walk and texting and bam, I hit the tree. I back, and I was going in there to give blood. I backed off from the tree, blood's everywhere. And I'm like, Hey, this is going to be kind of easy. <laughs> but I realized in that moment that when we lose focus, it can hurt. Not only can it hurt, but it can hurt a lot of other people. And, and this is a passage in Mark chapter nine that I've not been able to get out of for the past month. And so I'm just going to read through this and just kind of see if we can see a couple things. The, Jesus and Peter, James, and John had been up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and that thing was awesome. Jesus did a light show up there, and God showed up and had a great sound system, and all kinds of stuff happened up there, all right? But in chapter 9, verse 14, the Bible says, when they came to the other disciples, this is after they'd been on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. So, what you had here is a church business meeting going on right here in the Bible, right? That, they're arguing. You got the disciples and the teachers of the law, and they're going at it. The next verse says this. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Now, I've just got a thought. This is, this is just something I'm, I'm thinking about here lately. I think maybe the reason that people are running away from our churches is because we're arguing about things that do not matter. Because in the scriptures, when people saw Jesus, they did not run from him, they ran to him. And so if we're going to preach about Jesus Christ in the church and what matters, when we open the door, I believe people run in, not run away, because Jesus is irresistible when he's preached in his truest form. Now, it goes on to the next verse. Jesus is a little bothered by this. Watch this. Verse 16. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. In other words, Jesus felt the tension when he walked up. He's like, hey, 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 hey. What's the argument about? And listen, listen. All of us argue about stuff, especially in church world. I didn't know that um, because I grew up in, in a Wesleyan church, okay? That's where my mom took me. See, no, nobody went, woo, because Wesleyans don't do that. They're just calm. <laughs> They're just calm. It's like somebody smoked weed and went to church. They're just <laughs> laid back. Pentecostals are more like the crystal meth users in the church. But we... <laughs> It's true. 
So, so, but I came from the Wesleyan church to the Baptist church. That's like going from physics club to fight club, right? <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. The ba- I, listen, if you're Baptist, man, my heart is built on nothing less than Lottie Moon and Broadman Press. I'm with you, bro. <laughs> I am there. And if you're Presbyterian, you didn't understand that at all. And that's okay because we'll go drink wine after the service and the Baptist can get mad. So here, listen now. Listen. I came into the Baptist church and they were fighting over everything. I walked in right in the middle of the liberal conservative humongous fight in the early 90s. And I was like, I'm conservative. What's that mean? I don't know. The liberals are going to hell. Like that, that, I, I was there. We boycotted Disney in 96. Boycotting Disney. By the way, the mouse whipped our rear end in that boycott. You, you do know that, right? He's doing really good right now. But, but we're known as fight. It's like, what are we going to fight about this year? Somebody's always got to fight. And so arguments are taking place in the church. Listen, silly arguments. Some people, no, they mean something. Uh. Let's, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Let's, let's see what Jesus says. This is Jesus about the argument. Verse 17, a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Now, that's a big deal. But this next verse is even a bigger deal. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit but they could not. Don't miss this. Here's a dad standing in front of Jesus going, I brought my boy. He's hurting. He's in pain. And your guys could not heal him, I would say, because they were arguing instead of paying attention to the boy who actually had a problem that was right in their midst. When we get involved In meaningless arguments, we always ignore hurting people that God has brought right in our churches. There are hurting people in our churches every single week. Now, I know some of you go, I know the end of the story, and Jesus said this can only come out by fasting and prayer. I would argue that fasting and prayer is intense focus on Jesus, which goes back to my first point. The disciples could not drive out the demon because they're having an argument with the teachers of the law. I think in our churches, sometimes fighting the good fight simply means knowing which fight to walk away from. And there's just some fights that we just don't need to have. It, 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 it goes on to say, um, Jesus, Jesus kind of goes off on them here. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. One more time, let me emphasize. There's a hurting people in the midst of, quote, if you will, a church. And they're arguing, and they could not see the hurt right in front of them. I, I thought about this when I was in Israel earlier this year. I don't know if you've been to Israel yet. I don't, and you'll hear people say it's life-changing. It is. You should go. It's awesome. Food is amazing. I just can't recommend it. Uh, the hummus. Mm. Anyway, I, I just loved it over there. We landed. This was my second time. We landed, and we're standing in the baggage claim area, 
and there was this dog that we could hear it, and this dog is losing its dang mind. Somebody decided it'd be a good idea to take their German Shepherd, put it in a crate, and stick it on a plane for 12 hours, and this thing hadn't pooped or peed in 12 hours. And so you'd be screaming and crying too, right? So this dog is screaming and crying, and somebody just goes and lets the dog out. And I promise you, I promise you this happened right in front of ours. This dog crapped everywhere. It was... It was it was like Pac-Man. It was like, like, I was like, whoa. I've never seen anything like it. And so, and, and so they finally come and get the dog. It's like four people, like four, like and they get the dog and they get him out of there or whatever. And it's still crying. And, and there's all this just crap all in the floor. And I start thinking, somebody should clean that up. Now, not me. I'm a guest in this country. Um, but somebody, and then, then, I don't know if you think like this. If you're a pastor, you, you do, and you can't lie to me. I thought, if somebody doesn't clean that up, somebody's going to roll down here with their suitcase, not see it, and roll right through it. As soon as I think that, out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy walking on his cell phone, looking up, dragging his suitcase, and I went, oh. And I froze because I didn't know what to do. Like, I don't, okay, does this guy talk English? I don't know how to stay st- stop in Hebrew. Maybe it means the same. Should I stop in? Then part of me is like, no, if this works out, this is going to be a really great sermon illustration. So and don't judge me because you've done it too, right? And we watched it. There were like two or three of us, and we were watching him. It was slow motion. And this guy, I promise you, dog mess everywhere suitcase, drug it right through the crap and kept going. And I was like, I started thinking about that guy. Like, what if he got in the cab, put a suitcase next to him, and the cab driver went, man, you stink. Then he gets to the home that he's going to. Maybe he's visiting a home. Maybe he's got some family there. And he walks in and puts down his suitcase and he's talking to the family around the table and, and the family goes, dude, you stink. I started thinking about that and that night I was thinking, oh my gosh, that happens in our churches. We've got people in our churches every single week that they've drugged their life through the crap. Their marriage is hurting. They're struggling with sexual identity. They're struggling with past sins. And for too long, they've walked in the church. And we've allowed self-righteous church members to go, you stink. Rather than just explaining to them that at the cross, the ground's level. And I think the reason we allow that to happen is we're not focused on the fact that as our love for Jesus increases... Our love for hurting people will increase as well. And we don't tell them they stink. We just welcome them to the cross and say, man, there's room. I think, I think we have three, I'm going to hit these really quick, um, three things that we argue about that we don't need to argue about. These aren't going to come up on the screen, but you can, you can write these down if you want to. Um, the, the first one's morality. Morality. 
For, for too long in the church, we've told people, oh my gosh, you did that, you, you can't come back. Oh my gosh, you're like this, you can't come back. Oh my gosh, you can't. And, and, and the issue is not, are you like that? The issue, um, as Matt Chandler and I were talking about last night, is are you willing to fight through your problem? Because if you're willing to fight through it, you're, you, you should be welcome in the church. But I've had, uh, I, let's back up. How did Jesus approach immoral people? It was very simple. Jesus said, Okay, that's where you are. Let's just start right there. He didn't go, oh, you smell like crap. He, oh, okay, okay, okay. You've had five husbands and the guy you're sleeping with right now, not your husband. You know what? Let's just start there. I'm the Messiah. This is, you're right, John 4, right? Isn't that what he did? Isn't that what he did? John 8, just got caught having sex with a man. He's like, all right, let the one who's never seen cast the first stone. They all drop the rocks and he goes, um, all right. Don't do that again. Your sins are forgiven. Or maybe he said that. But I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. But he, anyway, he, he met Matthew, tax collector. What did he do? He didn't go, hey, you smell like crap. He went, no, no, no. He went, hey, I want you on my team. Like he, Jesus always met people where they are. So today we've got the issue. I mean, I've had people say, oh my gosh, you can't let gay people come to your church. He's gay. And I'm like, well, you weigh 400 pounds. Only in the church can the huge condemn the homosexual. Come on now. Hey, in the Bible, it says if you're given to gluttony, put a knife to your throat. doesn't say that about any other sin. My, that's, that's the one, especially here in the South, we don't like to talk about. It's tense in the room, isn't it? My lips have never touched alcohol. Your feet have never hit a treadmill either. I'm not mad at the people that that offended because they can't catch me. Anyway, <laughs> morality. I'm just saying, what if the church just said, okay, 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 that's where you are? That's where you are? Fine. 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 Let, let, let's just start right there. I think the second meaningless argument we have, this will be fun, is theology. Now, there's somebody here, and you just went, theology is important. Amen. Amen and amen and amen. I think messed up theology leads to, leads to messed up lives. I, I agree. Hey, listen, I read Joshua Harris's book, Dug Down Deep. I don't know if you've read that book. It's, the, it's one of the best theology books I've read in a long time. It was awesome. I don't even, I've never even met the guy, but I'm telling you, the book is great. Dug Down Deep, just in case you wanted to get that. It's it's, I, 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 agree, I love great theology. I'm just saying that I think we're having some theological arguments right now that really don't matter, and it's actually repelling people. Because people that are, well, I, I'm, you know what? Here's the disturbing trend. Most people, not all, most people that are obsessed with theology love theology more than they love Jesus. And if people don't buy into their particular brand of theology, they look down on them and push them away. And I'm like, how in the world is that like Christ? How in the world is that like Christ? We, we have people tell us all the time, well, your church isn't deep, your church. And I'm like, you know, I don't even know what deep is. If deep, deep means confusing, I'm confused the heck out of you every week. 
But I'm like, I've had people, I mean, I've people confront me, go, our church is deep, and our church, and I'm like, you know what, isn't it funny that the only people that Jesus pointed at and called sons of hell were the people that were so obsessed with their theology that they forgot hurting people? Yeah, half the people clapping, and the other half are mad because you love, listen, listen, I love theology. I love theology, and I will talk about theology. But I will not end a friendship over it. Hey, you're Reformed? Praise God. You're Pentecostal and you speak in tongues? Praise God. You're Baptist and you don't drink alcohol? Praise God. I want to work with every one of you to see how many people in this world we can reach for Jesus. And... Here's the deal. People go, well, the gospel's in trouble. Is it? Come on. Is it? The gospel outlasted the Roman Empire. Do you not think that the gospel is going to outlast some really bad televangelists and some really mean bloggers? Come on. It's the gospel. That Jesus Christ died for our sins that he was buried, that he rose from the grave according to the scriptures. And the apostle Paul said, that's what's important. If we can agree on that, then let's reach people for Jesus. Amen? And stop arguing about things that aren't bringing them into the kingdom. Because when we argue about those things, we can't see hurting people. Third way, methodology. I don't like how you do church. Awesome. Here's the thing. Here's here, this is the point. I, listen, I'm 41 years old, and this hit me. This hit me recently. When I was 12 years old, my mother passed away at 49. She died at 49 of cancer, and I remember being 12, and everybody was going, "Oh, she's so young. She was so young. She was so young." And I was like, "No, she wasn't. She was old. 49 is old." Now I'm 41, going, "No, nah, she's young." But this thought hit me the other day. What if that's me? What if I die at 49? That would mean I have eight years left. So operating on that premise, I'm finally, I'm finally comfortable in my own skin to say, I care way more about reaching lost people in this community than I care about what other church leaders think about how I do church. So, methodology is going to be different. And it should be. Hey, Jesus did some weird stuff. Have you read the Bible? Let me, let me just read you a couple things that I think might have had a couple committee meetings going on, right? Jesus, this is Jesus. In, in, in Mark chapter 7, um, let me find it. In verse 31, the Bible says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on them. Watch this. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Anybody think that's... Hold hold on. Jesus is like, yeah, 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 yeah. Come here, I'll fix it. Y'all stay right here. Come here. Right? And the women's Bible study group's over here going, I don't think he should have done that. It gets better. It gets better. Watch this. <laughs> then he spit and touched the man's tongue. <laughs> I 
Now, if you're in the crowd, you're like, that is jacked up right there. Somebody ought to wear him out. The Bible says he looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said, Epitha, which means be opened at this. The man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. We might not have liked how Jesus did it, but at the end of the day, he got the job done. Oh, I should just show you another one. It's just in the very next chapter. Mark chapter 8, I love this. Verse 22, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village when he had spit on the man's eyes. Why is Jesus always spitting on somebody? This is, an, I'm just reading the Bible. Blind guy sitting here, Jesus is like... Once again, if you're over here, you're going, I don't think that's a very godly thing to do. That is not right. That is, that is not right. But the Bible goes on to say, um, he's bitten the blind man's eyes and put his hands on him. Jesus asked him, do you see anything? I love this. He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. <laughs> Jesus is like, oh, we got to fix this. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Hey, hey, can we just admit in the church that sometimes Jesus is going to do something in ways we don't like, but as long as Jesus is doing it and as long as people are receiving Christ, amen. Praise God. Glory to his name. Hey, because I was in youth ministry 20 years ago. And we were doing Pharaoh, Pharaoh. And we were doing Lean on Me. We had overhead projectors and we had bands. And I remember people standing in the back looking at our youth group going, this will never work. Now that's just what we do. It's, it's, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there might, especially with the next generation coming up, I'm, I've got a group of high school students now. I've, I, I, I disciple a group of high school students every year. I do it. I, this is my fourth year doing it. Um, many of them cut school, and they're here today, which I did not advocate. But that's awesome. So I, And I'm paying attention to what they're saying and what they're saying about church. You know why? Because they're going to shape, and, 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 and if, if we fight them, we're going to be the people going, I don't agree, and they're going to be leading thousands to Jesus, and we're going to have four people in our church going, I just don't know about that. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I'm to the point where if you're reaching people for Jesus, I don't care if you're doing hymns, I don't care if you're lighting candles, I don't care, if, I don't, I don't care what kind of band you have, I don't care if everybody wears skinny jeans on stage and deep V-necks and scarves. I'm just telling you, I'm not doing that because people would throw up. I'm just saying, <laughs> if that's, and if people are meeting, and this is the thing, well, how do you know those people are really meeting Christ? Well, how do you know you met him? I believe they're meeting Christ. I believe Jesus is changing them. And if a church is reaching people for Christ, man, just get it done. Right? Because I don't, if I'm focused on loving Jesus and loving the people in this church, I don't really have a lot of time to attack the methodology of other churches. 
Just a thought. Number two, I'm praying that Jesus will give me an increasing measure of faith. I'm praying that Jesus will give me an increasing measure of faith. Have you ever had an oh crap moment? I don't know if you say that word. Some people think that's a cuss word. That's not, that's the, I just, anyway, I've had oh crap moments in ministry. If you've never had an oh crap moment in ministry, you're not doing something right. We had, I remember, I'll just walk you through several really quick. When we moved, we had a facility that sat 100 people. We had to move to a facility that sat 1,100 people. It was going to cost $45,000 to move. I didn't know how to raise $45,000, so I preached a message one Sunday morning called, We Need $45,000. That was, that was <laughs> about as creative as it got. 52 people showed up that night, and I preached on Ananias and Sapphira, how they didn't give, and God killed them, and they went to hell, or something like that, you know. So I was, we were motivated, and 52 people gave $26,000. And every time I say that, people cheer, and I'm like, no, don't cheer. We were $19,000 short. <laughs> Woo! Loser. No, what, like we were. That's an oh, crap moment. I remember in 2007, we did a big campaign. It was a capital campaign called Game Time. It was amazing. We had footballs, and we had the lobby, and it looked like a football field. We did all this stuff in 2000, and people made pledges. Like, we had millions of dollars pledged to give. Anybody remember what happened in 2008? The economy said, hey, I think I'm going to quit for a while. And, And this was awesome. We got a building in Greenville. We got a building, and we, we leased it, and we put about two, two and a half million dollars into it. And then about eight or nine months into this thing, the company that we were leasing from went bankrupt, and we lost the building. We're one of the only churches in America that had a permanent site and went portable. <laughs> it's awesome. It's great now. But it's not, listen, listen, and you meet the Christians, and that happens, and they go, well, you know, God's in control. Really? Hey, come on now, if you're a church leader, you've had the thought, God's, God's sovereign, really? Because it doesn't feel like he's sovereign right now, because this is a, this is a bad moment. I, I want to read this, because the, I think as church leaders, we get there. And so one of the things I'm asking God for is to increase my faith. Watch this. Um, The Bible said in in verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has the child been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Watch this. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. As a church leader, you've prayed that prayer. God, if you can do anything. Because there's going to be times in our journey as church leaders where we get to the, we get to the place where we just don't have faith. We, we want to believe, but our prayer to Jesus goes from, goes from God, you are sovereign, to God, if you can do something, now would be an awesome time. And the boy's father, he's struggling with this because watch this. Jesus said this in verse 22, or verse 23. If you can, this is Jesus. He said, if you can. Everything. Now, I, I underline that word everything because in the Greek, that word means everything. <laughs> See, people want to explain away everything. Well, everything actually meant. No, everything meant everything. If Jesus wouldn't have meant everything, I don't think Jesus would have said everything. But Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Everything is possible for one who believes. Everything. Everything is possible for one who believes. And then the boy's father prayed this prayer, which many times has been my prayer as a church leader. 
Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Maybe that's the prayer that you need to pray today because I know I've had to pray it several times in the past year where you get to an oh crap moment and it seems like the weight of the world's coming in and you're like, I believe, kinda. So God, help me in my unbelief. God, I wanna believe, but I'm gonna need you to give me more faith or I'm gonna need you to give me more courage. I'm gonna need, God, I'm gonna need more something to help me out. The Bible goes on to say this. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. The hurting person's need got addressed when Jesus showed up, stopped the argument, addressed the faith need. Somebody got healed every time. So I'm just praying that God would increase my faith. Um, my dad, as I mentioned, he, he passed away, and uh, he had Alzheimer's. And that's, that's a brutal way to go. I I've already told my wife, if I start going that way, tie a brick to every limb, take me to the lake, push me in, I won't, I'll be happy. Um, and then and when you get to heaven, I'll give you a hug. Like I, but with an Alzheimer's patient, um, you have to learn to laugh sometimes, because if, if you don't, you'll cry. So I went and talked to my dad one day because I'd got on Ancestry.com. And uh, I, I don't know if you've done this yet, but I was addicted. And I got on Ancestry.com, and I was trying to find my, my family tree. And so my, my um, great-great-grandfather died on a ship coming to America. Um, he, he died at sea. But my great-grandfather survived the shipwreck, um, was raised in an orphanage in Charleston, and moved somewhere the upstate. So, and his name was John, John Noble. So I'm searching for John Noble, searching for John Noble. And I found two John Nobles at about the same time period. One was in Greenville and one was in Pickens, South Carolina. I know everybody knows where Pickens is. So I, uh, I, I went to see my dad. And Alzheimer's patients, you have, a, you have good days sometimes and you have bad days. And my dad was having a good day, I thought. And I walked in, I was like, Dad, how you doing? He's like, good, son, how you doing? I was like, well, Dad, I've been on... The computer, I've been on Ancestry.com. It's a website where you can go back and see your family tree. He went, oh? Because that's what he did when he didn't understand. And I said, yeah. And I said, um, I, said I have a question. Um, your grandfather, his name was John Noble, right? Yep, John Noble. Awesome, awesome. Now, did you ever meet him? Nope. He died before I was born. I said, oh, okay, good, good, good. I'm getting the dates here, kind of narrowed down. And I said, um, now there was one that died in Greenville, and there was one that died in Pickens. Do, do you know where your grandfather, my great-grandfather, do you know where he died? I said, oh, he died in Pickens. I'm like, okay, okay. He's dead serious. I said, Dad, how did he die? And my dad looked at me with a straight face, and he goes, son, they say a squirrel got him. Um, automatically the scene from Christmas Vacation went through my mind where the squirrel squirrel like dad um, a, a squirrel 
killed my great-grandfather. And he said, that's what they say. Got on the phone. I called Lucretia on the phone. I was like, I come from a family tree of wusses. Like my... Now I know why I freak out every time a squirrel runs across the road. I... I sat in my car that day. I was like, that's not true. I'm, I'm not believing that. I don't know how he died, but he, that, that's not true because a man who I love, but's out of, his, out of his mind, told me that. I'm simply not going to believe that story. The lie that the enemy would want you to believe about your church is that your best days are behind you. But that's not true. Because Jesus promised us in John chapter 14 that if we had faith, we would do greater things than him. Jesus said, if you believe, you will receive what you ask for in prayer. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, my prayer for church leaders is that God would give us an increasing measure of faith. It's something that he's doing in me right now. It's just something he's doing to me because, here's the deal, I know that I'm, I've, and I've been told this, I know I'm known as the hype guy. If you follow me on Twitter, I mean, I've, I've had people hit me back. Perry, you can't always say this Sunday's going to be the best Sunday ever. Why not? Why not? If God is ever increasing in love and ever increasing in power. If God is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, why can't this coming Sunday be the best Sunday in your church? You can't always say this is going to be the next, this next series is going to be the best series. Why not? Why can't I say it's going to be the best series? Because I want you to listen to me. When it comes to that stuff, I'm smoking what I'm selling. I really do believe the next sermon, the next series, the next band CD that they put out, the next children's curriculum we put out, the next youth series we put out, the next summer camp we do, I really do believe it's going to be better. And my question is, do your people want to follow a leader that's hoping for greater things? Or do they want to follow a leader that stands up and goes, y'all bring somebody next Sunday? Nothing significant's going to happen. <laughs> Don't forget to bring somebody Sunday. It's going to be normal. <laughs> Don't forget to bring somebody to this new series. It's not the best we've ever done. In fact, two years ago was about the mountain height. It's been going downhill ever since. <laughs> what kind of... What kind of leader do people want to follow? Do they want to follow a leader that sits in a room and talks about how good things used to be? Or do they want to sit in a room with a leader and talk, who talks about how good things are going to be? I don't know about you, but I don't believe the best days are behind the church. I don't believe we're supposed to get back to Acts. I think Acts was the launching pad, and we're supposed to be doing things way up here now. And it's going to happen when we increase... In faith. So I know there's some cynical people in the world, and maybe there's some cynical people here, maybe they're broken, and you're like, well, I've seen, I've seen a lot of brokenness, I've seen a lot of hurt, I've seen a lot of things go wrong in the church. You know what? I have too. But she's still the, she's still the bride of Christ, 
and she's still beautiful, and he's still building it, and she will prevail. She will outlast the American government. She will outlast the next big government that comes along. She will be in heaven. Everything else will be destroyed. And my prayer is that as leaders, I have the faith, and we have the faith to take God at his word and actually attempt the things he tells us we can attempt because as long as we're attempting what God told us to attempt, we can not fail. Amen. Thank you for letting me be here, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the day.